This episode was brought to you by The Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to The Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome everyone back to another episode of the podcast. This is episode 69 and I am joined by Matt Mildred. Now we're talking about Dartmouth Dam as our main topic, trout fishing and also fishing in northeast Victoria. Now Matt grew up in the Albury region and has fished Dartmouth since he was a kid. So he knows it like the back of his hand. He does a lot of trolling up there, a lot of competition fishing and in this episode we jump in and break down Dartmouth. We look at the different seasons, we look at the different techniques, the different lures, Um, even talking about the yabbies in that system Matt touches on trolling quite a bit but there's also a little bit on casting as well so there's plenty to talk about in this episode and with the amount of rain we've got around at the minute which is absolutely crazy what better to do than listen to a podcast because a lot of us can't get out and fish obviously with all the floods going on now before we jump in one thing I want to mention is Matt is a contributor and a part of the social fishing team and he writes the monthly reports for Dartmouth so after listening to this episode if you're looking for regular updates tips or if you want to contact Matt directly, you can jump on the social fishing membership and grab all of that content. So there's a monthly report on Dartmouth Dam plus plenty of updates. So if you're looking to fish there, well and truly worth checking that out. And that is inside the social fishing membership at socialfishing.com.au. So that's enough from me guys. Without further ado, let's jump in to this episode and chat with the one, the only Matt Mildred. Welcome, guys, back to another episode of the podcast. Matt, thanks for joining me, mate. I know you're a busy bloke. you got the uh, dart, or is it dart cup? What's coming up? you got a fishing comp at dart coming up this weekend. Yeah, so this weekend, we've actually got, it's called the um, Dartmouth Dam Trout Trolling Tournament. Nice. Um, it's, it's, fairly, it's a fairly relaxed comp, um, nowhere near the numbers as the dart cup in June, but it's fun. It's, it's probably more fa- family-friendly. Generally, you get better weather compared to like start of winter. So, yep. um, yeah, it's it's a nice one. Yeah, cool. So, that's when does that? Is that Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Yeah, so it's Friday, Saturday, um, half a Sunday. I sort of finish up, have a bit of a barbie, I think, normally. Um, <clears throat> they do just a few little prizes here and there. And, yeah, it's it's not the same sort of... Um, bounty is what you get at the dark cup yeah but it's a really good community event um i think it's only been going for a few years and covid wrecked it a couple of times but we're back at it and yeah we're pretty keen to go nice sounds fun so when's dark cup what tommy is that on that's i don't know what you call it now it's the queen's birthday weekend so it's probably the king's birthday weekend <laughs> i don't know what they're gonna call it but um, yeah. i'm pretty sure i've heard confirmation that it just stays the same and um yeah. It's just that, that long weekend just before the Victorian trout streams close. Yes. Yeah. So that's so you've sort of got one in we- one when it's cooler, one when it's warmer with these two comps kind of thing. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, this year doesn't feel like it's that much warmer. This no. Week. <laughs> it's it is, weird, um, isn't it? It's, I've been watching the weather. Um, obviously, it's it's been raining 
pretty much half the day here in Aubrey. I, I think it would have come across you guys by now. Mm, we didn't um, get any yet. It's still you coming. You didn't get any? Nah, it's but, coming. Uh, they sort of predicted around 80 mil. So whether or not we get that, but the winds, like I've been watching the winds because that's, you know, it's pretty important yep. when you're looking at the da- at the dams and it's sort of been, it's just been going everywhere. It hasn't been really? consistent. Yeah, it's it's been swirling. So just using that windy app, um, yeah, over the days when you when you sort of press to see into the future, yeah, it, it's just swirling and it's. You know, I think it was getting up to like twenty odd k's and then drops off to pretty much glass off and then wow. shoots back up and it's on Dartmouth. Anything I reckon over fifteen is pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, you're saying the wind's pretty. You got to get it right there, otherwise it's yep. dangerous or very uncomfortable. Well, dangerous. I've heard we're gonna actually. I'll get you to tell that story. Um, yeah, in a little yeah. bit. But um, yeah, cool. So you got that comp coming up. So I know you're a busy bloke, but we're gonna talk about your, you know, how you got into fishing, like we I usually do with all my guests. Um, first of all, as I said, I want to thank you for jumping on. Um, for those who don't know you, we'll get into a bit of that. But before we do, can we just talk about like the most awesome thing that's happening? Can the the lake is spilling for the first time since when? And have you gone up to see it yet? Yeah, uh, since. So it's spilling over for the first time since uh, 1996, which, look, that's huge. Like the the car flow going up there, it's a conga line. Um, really? Yeah, it's it's insane. And, wow. you know, I think, I don't know if the community's quite divided on it. I know the people inside Dartmouth like, community are pretty happy. Um, it's, it's pretty big for the area, but... What that does once once that dam flows over, it's pretty much un- it's not as controllable. So the the flows downstream. Um, I don't actually know how many meg coming over the wall at the moment, but looks like a bit. Yeah, the 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 farms downstream, um, copping it. I think they've sort of complained, and you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's it's great that it is overflowing from my perspective. Yeah. Um, just because of the what the boost to the community, but um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it was there was a figure there on how many meals they were putting out per minute, and it was like it was insane. Yeah, how many crazy. they were doing. So, which is good. It's good. Yeah. Um. So heaps of traffic because it, it, it's the middle, isn't it? Yeah, flows into the middle. And mid is not—it's not a very big river, is it? Between there and Hume, like it's not—it's not a massive. No, like I, I compare it to—it's it, pretty much like an up Murray in a way, like right. same width. Yeah, it's not huge. Yeah, so it's it's potential flood risk if it stays oh, yeah. too high for too long. Yeah, it's all low lying, so. Yeah. You can already see before it was even overflowing. I think they may have tried to do some releases just to. I don't know, get a bit of airspace. Um, you could just see all the, as you're driving up to Dartmouth, all the um, low-lying farmland yep. was um, already had water all through it. Yeah, right. Okay. And now there'll be a fair mm. bit. There's so much water. I can't believe like, I the barren duck's gone over again massively. Um, That's huge. So much water going down the Bidgee. And, and surprisingly, that they stopped the, well, not surprisingly, but they stopped the flows out of blaring um, yeah. while Burrenjuck's flowing over so that the Bidgee doesn't flood. And I was fishing a river running at 600 meg yesterday, yeah. which for those who don't know what 600 meg is, it's like a trickle. 
Um, it felt really, really weird. It was pretty special actually because it's back up now. It was like a two, three-day window they dropped it for. So um, that was very odd with the amount of water we got everywhere, which is just ridiculous. But things will be good when it drops. We had a little glimmer of that yesterday. It's the best season we're ever going to have on the trout in the tumor for a long time, even in high water. Um, they must have just loved the consistent high water over winter, which was yeah. cool. Yeah, Crazy. It's funny. It's funny. I was going through. So we shifted this um, recording through till Wednesday. Yep. We meant to do it on Tuesday, and I was like, "Oh, that's all right." And then I looked at our our group chat, and I saw the fish coming through in the stories. I'm like, "Oh, no wonder he stayed." <laughs> yes. So for those who don't know, yesterday, yeah, I was on the tumor yesterday. I was meant to go for like an hour and a half, two hour session. I only went for three and a half hours. Um, yeah. Because I had too much work to do, so I only got there at like 12 and fish till 20 past three, I think. Um, yep. And between Dan and I, we landed uh, 11 trout, I think. And we would have had another 30-odd hits. Like we were having the same fish hit us three times in the retrieve. We were getting hits at the same time. We had multiple follows. We'd had another 30-plus fish follow. A lot of the smaller ones would follow because they wouldn't, yeah, they couldn't eat the plastic. Um, yep. yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was great fun. Absolutely fired up. And it looks like... Um, You've got some nice rainbows there. So. Mm. Yeah, it's a good mixed fishery, like rainbows and browns. Um, yeah. I know you're used to the browns down where you are. Yeah, um, yeah. oh, there's so many. Uh, I was talking to uh, Rory about this yesterday, and we don't tend, like up at Dartmouth, you, they're there, and you can find them in pockets, um, but majority of the fish, like I would say nearly 90-odd percent of the fish are browns. Have you seen the stocking history? Do they just mainly stock browns? Is that why? They don't. They don't stock. There's Rainbow. no stocking. No, they, oh, just, they, they don't stock. No, they don't stock any trout up there. Right. Um, and I think the reason there is because it's such a precious uh, Macquarie perch fishery. Uh, oh, you know, it's yep. it's the breeding zone. It's Victoria's. I think Australia's sort of premier uh, natural recruitment. Of Macquarie, Macquarie. Perch. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah, so. So they um, kind of want to look after, maybe not like, yeah, destroy that by jamming a heap of big trout in there. Yeah, exactly. There are stories like, I don't think there's as many predators in there. Like, you've obviously got the carp. Um, there are stories of uh, trout cod, and I think I even saw in one of the Victorian fisheries websites the other day that there may have been trout cod in there. I've never seen one. I've never heard of seen anyone catch one. Yeah. I do know before they put the dam in there, um, the the rivers, so all the way up to the Gibbo, which is, oh, I think it's nearly close to 30 kilometres from the dam wall, yep. um, all the way up there and all the way up the Minna River, um, there were like huge numbers of what they call like blue-nosed trout, uh, blue-nosed cod, so your trout cod and the days, you know, before mining and everything, they used to say the Macquarie perch up there used to turn the river black. So that was how many there were in groups. Yeah, they they said it was. Yeah, I can't imagine it. Wow. I can't imagine it. And um, now there is there is a um, a small YouTube channel. I think it's. Um, I'll have to look it up. I might bring that up a little bit later. Yeah, it's so worth checking out um it's really knowledgeable just sort of like seven or eight minute short clips of um i think it's marine biologists going on about you know your midder rivers 
your Upper Murray's, I think uh, Goulburn might be in there. And just talking about what all those rivers were like back in the day. Yeah, Before cool. everyone ruined it. Yeah, yeah, which is what dams have done. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. It's a pretty unique area. I haven't been and I'm coming down to fish with you soon down there. Yeah. Um, but so the Macquarie Perch are still in there, pretty solid numbers, but a lot of work is put in by Vic Fisheries. You're saying that there's stories that they were thick before the impoundment went in, that there were trout caught in the rivers there, whether they're yep. still there or not, you'd, like it's a bit of a myth. Um, Me personally, I'd, I'd like to believe it. Yeah. It'd be pretty cool. Um, but I think by now... I would have heard stories of someone catching one. There's that many people that either trawl up there or, you know, camping on the banks. Yep. I've personally never heard of one. I've heard of one person seeing a cod in there, but until I actually see a photo, I can't Yeah, I can't course. believe it. Um, yeah. And then you've got, so how do the trout, do they just naturally recruit themselves in the flowing water in the rivers? Is that? Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. And there's that. There's a lot of creeks and um, oh, there's the two main rivers. But uh, what do you got? G- the Gibbo or Jibbo? Um, I think there's Wombat Creek. Uh, there's a whole. There's three or four others up the Dart Arm. Um, and I think you know this. Oh, the last couple of years, you know, we've been seeing that much water. And the question going around at the moment, Dartmouth has uh, like an incredible amount of of fish uh, and a lot of them are small yeah and coming from the dark cup the amount of fish that were caught compared to what were being weighed in so i think one guy in our group i think was close to now i think he was around 15 fish for for the day and he was only able to weigh in one right so they have to be over 35 yeah um so i think what's been happening is we've had that much water flowing in it's been such a successful breeding season over the last couple of years for the trout Yep. Because all their rivers are just been flowing really well. Yep. They've all come out into the out into the dam and I think fighting for food. I've noticed over the last few years I I haven't been seeing too many you know big bait balls, your Daphne or like smelt things like that where the years prior you'd be you know if you take a fish home you're gutting them. And absolute shockers, like right. their guts are absolutely exploding. Um, the one myth, and I think we've spoken about this in the, um, well, not the myth, the mystery, and we've spoken about this in the membership, was the amount of yabbies in the dam. Yep. Yeah, I, I very rarely catch any fish with yabbies in there, but you go up there in the middle of summer, um, you know, you catch bucket loads of these yabbies, and they're all huge. Because you're allowed to catch them, mate. You can. Yeah, catch you're actually yabbies. allowed. You're allowed ten hoop nets, which yep. is twice as many as pretty much everywhere. I think there's only a uh, select few that you're allowed to use that many nets. Um, so the science must be like there's there's that much food up there um, that they're willing to let you use extra nets. So that's a bit of a mystery to me. I've only ever caught a couple of trout um, with the yabbies. Weird, you know, eh? It's strange compared to places like Uke where it's very well known that you're going to target the yabby beds. Yep. And more likely, or you know, more often than not, you're probably going to be filling a fish and you rip it open and it's got a yabby or two in it. So Yeah. So with the 
you catch most of them that had the Daffina in it. Um, yeah. Do you, what's your biggest trout? Like, what's a big trout? You've, you've caught them, like, into the 40s up to 50 there. So, that's a big yep. enough... Like, even a 30-centimeter trout can eat a small yabby. So, yeah. it's not that the trout aren't big enough to eat the yabbies. Maybe it's... Because you can mean it's very shallow. So, yep. they're up on the flats a lot more. Dartmouth's a lot steeper. It reminds me from seeing photos and the stuff you've posted. It's very similar to what, like, Talbingo is kind of like. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably less deep and it's probably got, yeah, it's not as ridiculously crazy steep as Talbingo, but it's more like Talbingo than you can be. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Eildon in some parts. Yes. Um, okay. Not all of it. Obviously not the Bonnie Dune side, but. But the main um, base and wall area. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got all these yabbies, which from your experience, not many are eating because if they would, you think they'd get bigger. So it's interesting. So you're saying there's no bait balls at the minute. Because yep. there's so many fish that are just smashing all the food and you guys are catching a lot more fish this year, but they're a lot smaller because they're those small fish that have come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, they'll get yeah, big it's, soon. Yeah, it's strange. They will and, you know, they'll either eat each other. Um, I mean, they're probably some of them now are probably a bit big just to be getting swallowed, but there are big fish in there. Um I think it's just a bit of a cycle, you know. Yep. It wasn't too many years ago where we were catching, like, few of us were catching big hook jaws, um, big male brutes that are getting prepared to go spawning. So Really? Yeah. And in, in my experience, I haven't actually caught that many um, with hook jaws up there. Um, but within our group, we've seen a few. Um, and I know, like, the locals, the locals know they do grow that big and um it's just from my experience i haven't seen that many of them up there um and dartmouth's probably got a bit of a name for itself at the moment for having small trout just particularly around you know when we've got places like lake hume right next to us yep here in here in albury um anything coming anything being caught below the weir wall at the moment you know they're getting close to well 10 10 pound ish yeah. It's a lot of sevens to nines. That's I think they're big fish, made, though. They're massive. Yeah, they are up, upwards of seventy centimeters, which is crazy. Um, Lake Hume, very similar. Um, hasn't been as crash hot of a season this year as to last year, but they are starting to pick up a bit. Yeah. Um, so when you compare that to Dartmouth itself, um, the dam. Yeah, there hasn't been as many huge fish caught out of there in recent times. It's mainly below, you know, um, below the dam wall and into the pondage. That's where a lot of big fish are caught. It's interesting, eh? I wonder, <clears throat> wonder if it's because they're smart fish and because they're they're secluded into like a tiny area in the pondage. You know, they're more likely to be caught than spread right out in a big dam. But like you said, it goes through cycles. You wait, you'll get this really good class of fish from these two years of ridiculous rain yeah. in like your next, give it four years time, not even, you'll have a really good size, you know, two to three pound fish. Um, yeah. If not bigger, quite common. It's interesting how all lakes do their cycles, even though sometimes we don't, we're not aware of it, um, especially from stocking, but this is obviously from recruitment. The same, it's very noticeable in rivers when we chase cod, you'll go, that was a good flood year, like the 2012 yeah. floods. The fishing through 2015-16 was epic and you sort started to see these 60-centimetre cod, which you never caught through the millennial drought. 
Um, and that's something we're going to look forward to now. Like, look at all our rivers at the moment, absolutely pumping. So yeah, we've got to look forward and at to the it, right don't time. We? Well, it's not it's much happening at the minute. moment, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. We've talked about. I feel like I've been talking about this in the podcast for two years. Yeah, it's just crazy. But like you said, it's it's good for the good for those systems when it does settle. Well, it's good for the systems yeah. now, but from an angling point of view, which is <clears throat> we love the fish, we care about the fish, but we still want to be able to catch them and enjoy the water and the fish. So for us, we want the river to drop a bit. Fingers crossed next autumn, maybe. maybe. Let's hope. Let's <laughs> it hope. might not be till the autumn after because obviously spring's closed season for natives, but obviously not for trout. So. Right, mate. Well, that's a good little start. Uh, we went off a bit of a tangent there, but that's all right. We'll come back to Dartmouth in a minute. Can you run us through? I'm interested to hear, and I'm sure everyone else is, tell a little bit about yourself. Uh, where's the Matt Mildred story start? Um, obviously, now we'll talk about um, your involvement in the membership, but just take me back to how fishing started for you, where you grew up. Did you start in the salt? Did you start in the fresh? And then why, why trout? Why did trout and Dartmouth become such a passion of yours? Yeah, right. So I've been thinking about this a little bit and um, obviously I, I'm born and raised in Aubrey, um, but some of my earliest memories was actually up on the coast down near, oh, up near, um, sort of near Wollongong. It's just below Wollongong, a place called Nara. I've got family that live there and I don't know what it was. My uncle was a mad cane fisherman, um, just loved the saltwater, chasing flatties and whatever, um, mainly bait. Uh, was to begin with, and that might have just been because me jumping in the boat, he didn't want to be throwing lures around. But yeah. we used to just go into the Shoalhaven River there um, and drop in at the Bombardieri Creek. And, Bombardieri, you know, just, hey? I know where yeah, you're talking about. I know you know where I'm at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we just uh, go with the tides, whether it's going out or coming in, and you just drift with the tides and bottom bounce some normally shrimp or squid. Um and I think that sort of took me back. Like I think maybe that triggered my sort of love for fishing or, you know, the enjoyment of it all. So I'd come back to Aubrey. And what age was that? If you don't, yeah, what age was that? Jeez, I'd probably, I don't know if I'd be around sort of like seven or eight year old. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, somewhere. I was fairly young. Uh, but I, I just remember like asking mum or dad. And normally I think it was mainly mum that would take me out um to the weir yeah and the brother we'd end up going out in the weir and just drown some worms and catch a heap of redfin like i remember the reddies used to be going crazy back then um and every now and then you just get you know a carp which is exciting yeah. um things like that like eventually that sort of took me through through the high school years you, you know you got some friends and we before we had our licenses again we'd get dropped off out the weir we'd um chuck some bait rods in and set up a little soccer field because we're all like soccer players yeah and uh true. just kick the footy like kick the soccer ball around and you know catch a fish here and there like well we we'd have days where we're catching over 100 redfin between the three of us and that's some pretty inexperienced fishermen back in those days so um and you know eventually we so through the soccer club there's one of our coaches um a man called wayne fraser and Keithy Martin was one of the managers and they were buying a cabin up at Dartmouth. Um, and they invited me and a mate uh, who were in the same team, they invited us up to Dartmouth to go trout fishing. I think it was our first 
first dark cup wasn't you know absolutely atrocious conditions the wind was howling it was belting down rain man pete like we had no idea what we were doing we just sit in the boat and get told to <laughs> chuck some line out and yeah and from there it's just becoming a tradition and uh you know what so age was that a, trip uh, i'm talking it's probably about 15 years ago so probably about 15 yeah i reckon um somewhere around there i feel like we've been going for yonks um yeah, and you know one of my earliest memories was coming back to our cabin after a day on the water and just absolutely struggling out there I'm going why aren't we catching any fish and one of the boys goes oh they you know they're chewing on yellow like yellow lures or you know yellow yeah, fenders yeah. yeah which are an attractor and so yeah one of my earliest memories for dartmouth was actually getting back to camp or back to the cabin and scrubbing all the paint off an old set of fenders and spray paint them yellow so we'd go out and catch some trout the next day and it worked yeah yeah That's they can be cool. funny like that um you know probably go into a bit more but you know some some days they'll only chew on a certain color yeah that's cool <laughs> i definitely want to talk about that and a couple yeah. other things too fish related um and your knowledge about trout because i've i've like you've written a few pieces on trout and i've talked to you about it a bit and just the knowledge there's and because you spend so much time doing it, it it's stuff that you trout like you, you put you in a boat and me in a separate boat and you'd outfish me Ten every single session on trout, just because you've spent the time to learn how they behave, the the differences that, and even coming down to your hook configurations on your lures, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is yeah really yeah. cool. So anyway, yeah. So you've been, and then that tradition started, and then from then I guess you've just continued to fish flat out. Yeah, I continue to fish. Um, and dartmouth. I mean. Aside from Dartmouth, like I love, I love cod fishing. Introduced to that through soccer again. One of my soccer mates, um, he lived in Denny, um, so I used to play state soccer with this fella, and he lived in Denny, and they had some yep. property on the Edwards River, and that sort of introduced me to cod. And you know, even back then, we would have been sixteen-ish, maybe even maybe even younger. And I just remember his old man sitting in the boat casting this obscenely big lure. Like a swim bait redfin thing made out of wood. Like uh, a long. How long ago was this? Oh, I'm talking like, what am I now? Thirty. So it's probably over twelve. And and it was probably, big for deep. It was a it was a this is a big wooden swim bait redfin looking thing. Big for back then or big for now? Oh, it's probably on par with what we use now, swim bait yeah, wise. Yeah, right. So like a, a Percy again. the perch. Yeah, Percy the perch looking thing. Yeah, but made out of like all wood and. I just remember going, what the hell are you going to catch with that? And um, the next morning, we pulled up a 105-centimetre cod out of the water. And this is not something I'm proud of, and it's I've told a few people. Um, so back then, that was my first experience ever cod fishing. Yeah. And uh, we rock up to the, the property and obviously not going to name, name and shame, but... Uh, we, we rocked up and went into the shed and we got handed a bucket of set lines. So I know a lot of people aren't going to like to hear that, but I'm glad to say it's it's in the past. It was a sort of once-off trip. and That was legal back then though, yes? No, I don't think it was. I think from what I was told when we were leaving the shed was 
you know, don't let anyone see you put these in the water. Yeah, right. Um, so I think it was it was illegal, but I think it was only just. Yeah. So I think it was still an old school thinking back then. And um, thankfully, and I'll put it to record, that fish went back in the water and swam another day. So nice. that's a, probably one of the only good things that came out of that. But it, it definitely sparked my fascination with the Murray Cod side of things. And I do a hell of a lot of that through the summer. Yeah, and only only just starting to do a bit more through the winter months. Um, since I don't, I've stopped playing soccer now. I've got a bit more time for it. Yeah, nice. And then you're in a good part of the world for cod down there as well, with the Murray, all the small rivers as well. Oh, we got a lot. We're absolutely blessed. And to be honest, I don't fish the Murray much. I, I find for me, and I know they're there. There's plenty there. It's obviously the Murray River, but a lot of the time, there's so much like freezing cold water coming out from below the dam, I find it doesn't fish that great. Yeah. Um, which I think you experienced that right before, was it the um, the drawdown? It was during the drawdown. A, yeah. yeah, you did a trip down there and there's, you know, water coming out from underneath. It's it's fairly cold. Well, we um, actually went when it was running really nice, like it was running yeah. low and steady and um, yeah. it was still pretty cool, but we struggled big time. Um, I knew of a couple other blokes who were getting some good fish but that was like the week prior on the full moon so they were very picky um yeah through that section but yeah we struggled we yeah. got a couple of little ones for three days of casting or oh, we missed one i think we yeah i missed one massive hit on the first morning straight up and which thought, hurts yeah i thought that was good things to come but then there was nothing to come nothing <laughs> to come that, a couple of little ones but yeah yeah you're right but there's your smaller there's... rivers are fish really well down that way don't oh. they I love it, yeah. I love them. So, what do we got? I, I fish the King River a lot around uh, the Wangaratta area. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the ovens, uh, not too far away. I guess you've got the Upper Murray. Um, the Kiwa is back down this way. The Buffalo. Yep. Um, it's a lot yeah. of rivers. We've got heaps. The ovens. Yep. I'm sure I'm missing a few in there. I know there's a heap of creeks in there and... You know, pretty much anywhere that runs runs into a main body of water is going to have cod in it, I've found. And you'd be surprised sometimes where they, they show up. But yeah, that's that's the joy of you know, going exploring. You never know what you're going to find. Mm. That's right. Um, cool. So that's led you to where you are now. Like you said, you've been doing a bit more winter stuff. You did a bit this year. Um, yeah. And you also been writing the Dartmouth reports for how long have you been writing them for now? This is inside the membership platform. So you're our Matt Did for I everyone start... listening is the Dartmouth contributor. He shares everything and anything on Dartmouth, but I reckon you've been writing it for a while now. I think it was maybe May was it May last year? It's well over twelve months. Definitely well over Yeah, it's months. well over twelve months, but yeah, I think it must have been it's definitely it's not two years, so it must have been maybe Yeah. Twenty What's that? Does that take us into 2020? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old COVID year. That was fun. No, yeah. Uh, no, it wouldn't have been. No, what are we up to? No, it's only. It would have been 2021. Yeah, it would have been the start yeah, of Yeah, 21. Year. Jeez, quick yeah. maths. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, so you've been writing those. We've got, uh, unlike yourself, we've got a bunch of other contributors as well writing about different waterways, but obviously, Dartmouth's your. Little home ground place, it's my little area. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I find, I I feel a bit more confident at 
Dartmouth and I do it Lake Hume, which is probably 10 minutes down the road compared to an hour and a half. But I you just probably fished it more, yeah? I fished Dartmouth a hell of a lot more. Yeah. I have actually, I've started fishing Lake Hume uh, a fair bit, particularly through COVID. Yeah. Um, I wasn't allowed to travel over into Victoria, which made, you know, writing reports and keeping things up to date. Um, Victorians couldn't even go fish their own dam. So the reports became not not dried up, but yeah. Yeah. We yeah. went into, we, we delved into other things through the reports there, like it was a tough combos and yeah. Can you tell us more about Dartmouth? We, we started to talk about it or we'll keep going. Yep. On yep. Dartmouth, obviously we talked about the class of fish being smaller, but that's pretty much all we touched on. So can you touch on the kind of body of water it is, the size of water, the the features, how you approach the trout there, and also the key seasons if someone's looking to visit Dartmouth? Well, Dartmouth, Dartmouth is a massive dam. I think from um, from the dam wall to uh, the far, further reaches of like where the meter comes in. I think it's close to 40 kilometers. That's big. It's it's a long way. Um, you've got sort of, I would say you've got two main arms. Uh, you've got the Dart River and the Mitter. So the two main arms. You also have a big sort of, there is another branch off, which is the Eight Mile Creek, um, which, you know, it probably gets flogged a fair bit. Um, size of it, um I'm going to have to Google that. That's all right. It's big. But it's massive. Uh, I think it's seven point something Sydney Harbour's worth of water. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's massive. Um, it's well, It's got your your biggest, I think it's the tallest dam wall. I think the dam wall from bottom to top is about 180 metres, I believe. Really? So, yeah. So from the, the bottom of the oh. river mouth, like I think it's on the, the um, dam side. Yeah, so I think from the peak where the road goes across the dam wall, I think it was 180 meters down. Holy moly, um, that's massive. which is, I think it's the biggest was well, the biggest dam in or dam wall in Australia. Um, wow. Yeah, because Talbingo is 117 meters deep. Yeah, at its deepest, but I imagine Dartmouth wouldn't would probably be more. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't know if it's just because of the place I am, like where you go up there or sometimes your sounder just like cracks a fit. Yeah, it doesn't um, want to work. It's too far. It doesn't want to work. <laughs> so, but um, other than that, you know, it's it's very steep. It's so it's, it's a very steep um, bank dam. There's not too many places really that you can camp unless you're pretty wild. Like you see a few boys get up there and they're getting their shovels out and digging, digging little flats. But um there's not a whole lot of camping space up there. Um, yeah. A lot of timber. So there's a heck of a lot of timber up there, which is great. Um, probably helps with the yabbies, but also just fish habitat. Um, yeah. A lot of clay. Uh, there's a lot of clay banks. There's a lot of rocky points, um, a lot of rocky points, and that's some of the some of the better places to, to fish. We'll probably go into that a little bit later. Um, a lot of inflowing water. There are a few flats, um, a few depending on what time of year or you know what height the water is at. You'll get there are some islands that sort of poke out of nowhere. You'll be trawling in 
close to 60, 70 metres of water and all of a sudden you've got trees ripping out your um, your downrigger bomb. But Run us through your seasons, how you approach the dam, your sort of basic techniques. I know your technique would change for season to season. So let's start with now being spring, late spring, obviously normally by now to be a lot warmer. But run us through how yep. you fish it now and then lead through to summer. Just a, just a quick sort of overview. So, so the best times to go and how you sort of fish each season as it progresses yeah so right now um and it, it probably doesn't help uh we've had the waters risen like crazy and um the fish have been sort of up near the edges the whole time just chasing that that new fresh water and the fresh ground but right now I, you know fishing the banks um has been working insanely well uh just using i use suspending hard bodies um yeah so i'm just casting at the moment my favorite lure would be a double clutch um just a dial double clutch uh suspending and it's just got a really good shimmy um what i'm working is areas of transition um and so when i say transition i mean uh so there's clay and then there's uh rocky banks so where the, the clay and rock meet yep i love fishing those sort of transitions because there's lots of like little nooks and crannies and um whether it's boats that have gone past and created a bit of wash or you've got a bit of a breeze that's gone into that bank that clay stirs up and the fish like to hide in that so yeah um so that's one point for right now fishing the sides like fishing the edges but um you've also got right now because the water's so high there's a lot of um saplings and old wattle trees and stuff i've been finding a, a lot of success just fishing Sort of over the, over the top and in between those. So some of them will poke up out of the water and there's gaps in between them. A lot of it is just under the water, which is perfect right now. It's sort of a couple of feet under the water and you just drag your lures straight over the top of that. And the beauty about like the double clutch and there's other there's other lures out there that do the same thing, but they go down probably, what, two foot? Maybe a, you can get them down to a metre if you're yeah. really trying, I think. But you can just... They don't sink and they don't fall down onto onto the the brush. So, yeah. Okay. So they sit there nicely. Yeah, and you can hold them there. So you can twitch them, let them sit. Um, you know, a lot of the time you need. I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of the time you need to be moving that lure. I find as soon as you stop moving that lure, the, the trout just that they, they they follow and they stop. As soon yeah. as that lure stops, and it's so frustrating because you know you get the you get your lure close to the boat and all of a sudden you're like running out of room. I know. You know they're you're funny like, fish. They're different than the yellows. Like the pause yeah. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. The quicker the sometimes better. Sometimes it does. Sometimes. Like sometimes it does. Yeah. I had one only a couple of weeks ago, which the pause worked. I'd cast it and gave it a quick twitch and out of nowhere. I think I I went to turn around, do something and turn back and my rod just loaded up. So so that's sort of for now. As, as you're leading into summer, I think you'll find, and this might be a special year, I think you probably with the amount of small fish, um, you'll be able to flatline a fair bit still. Right, okay. So flatlining at the minute yep. is still like right now is no Right problem. now is still working, yep. but in saying that, lead line, which goes down, you know, I particularly like to go three colours. I, I don't know why it is, but three colours is like my go-to, so like a happy medium. Yeah. Um, and it goes down. I think it goes down between five and eight meters um, ish. So, and that you know, this can vary on your speeds, which is it can become a bit tricky. Like what speed 
your lure type that you got on. Um, I normally just drag a either Fenders and Worms or Tazzies. Yep. Um, I, I don't like to use uh, bib lures and stuff on lead core. Anyway, the majority of the fish now are being caught on on lead line. Like that's people that are trolling. So I think the fish now the water is starting to warm up, not as rapidly as um, previous years, but they are starting to dive a little bit. Yeah. Um, people that used to be able to just go out and flatline normally Tazzies um, and see great success, they're starting to find it a little bit harder um, compared to those going out and trawling with the, the lead core. But in a normal, say a normal season, they, a normal season, they'd start to drop by the end of September? Yeah. 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 Okay. Most of the time. Um, I mean, I've had friends and even myself, I think I've caught trout on lead core which you know it's only a few meters down in the middle of summer yeah um and my mate i had a mate there over christmas one year and just casting tazzies from the bank and he caught a I think it was a 52 centimeter brown um in the middle of summer so it these things do happen but when it gets into summer i think that's when downriggers um paravan i hate paravanes yeah. <laughs> that's just me personally i, I went through the early stages of my learning, um, some years, even in, in the winter, um, the fish are deep and paravanes were the only sort of device that we had uh, to get us down that bit deeper. Um, I just find them a little bit hard to gauge how deep you're actually going. So, you know, when, when you get a downrigger and you can pinpoint your lure exactly where it is and you're matched up with your, your sounder, um, you're putting your lure straight over the top of a fish's head yeah, um, most of the time. And if you've got a good sounder um, and you've got your downrigger right and you've got, you know, a heavy enough bomb and you don't get blowback. So blowback is when the the bomb isn't heavy enough to go straight down and the drag sort of pulls it away from the beam of your sounder. Yeah, so it, it, it basically lifts out the back like it yeah. drags higher. Yeah, it drags higher. So... Um, if you've got a heavy enough bomb, it sits right underneath your boat and you can see exactly where your lure is. Yep. And if you get, you know, if you want to get really tricky, you can put your down rear towards the front of the boat and have your lure. So it's underneath the beam of your sounder. Yeah, and you can actually are. see, you can see where um, fish are actually coming up and picking at your That's lure. Cool. Instead of, so what I've got at the moment, personally, um, my down rear goes straight off the back of the boat. Yep. And then the amount of times that I've actually had trout follow for like 34, or sorry, longer, it's probably 50 meters I've had fish following the bomb. What? And I, I'm like, well, now I know there's a fish there. All I'm going to do is speed up and try make my lure catch up yep. to the fish. Yep. And the amount of times that you actually catch the fish. That's really um, cool. I have had a mate make me a, it's like a gimbal mount to go inside the rod holder's at the front of the boat, I'm, yep. just, I'm, I'm yet to install it, but um, that way I'll be able to have the downrigger towards the front of the boat and have my lure underneath the beam um, and hopefully convert a few more follows. Mm, um, interesting. It's it's one thing, and I think the idea of putting a camera on the back of your line and, and watching to see what happens, um, I've, I've thought about it a lot, but I think it would just frustrate me that much because... More often than not, I think you've got fish following your lures. You'd be really surprised in a place like Dartmouth that has so many fish 
um, it, it would just drive you insane. We'll get getting this back, right. Getting back, yeah, go on. So yep. you can, I was going to say, trout are a fish that are real inquisitive and um, they look at a lot of things. So we actually put one of those wolf cams or troll cams, I can't remember what they're called. They use them for the pike. Yeah. Um, because you got like you don't pike those Wa- pike. Water wolf? Yeah, that's it, water wolf. Yeah. Um, a mate of mine had one, don't know why he bought it, but he got it and they use it for the pike because the lures just sit straight, obviously on a hard body for cod. The camera would be wobbling side to side. But he, we were trolling for yellows on this day at blaring at about 27% back in, I think it was 2018 or something. Um and there was a stack of yellows, like they were everywhere on these trees in the bottom of the riverbed. And he's like, I'll put it down. And the amount, like he would, he didn't get a hit on the spinnerbait, but the number of yellows and carp that followed the spinnerbait was ridiculous. Really? There was more times than not there's a fish on it than there wasn't. And I don't know. Yeah. That like with cod, that wouldn't be the case. Obviously, you get a follow rarely, but they do follow. And we've actually watched a few cod follow us on the live tech now because we can see them come up off the bottom and look at it. But yep. that many carp would just track it like a trout. It just looked like a trout following, like the way that trout follow. Like it was just yep. on it, on it, on it, on it. And yellows did the same thing. They'd like they've because we're going pretty quick. It's like just full chasing it and looking at it, looking at it because they're real inquisitive. But trout are even. More inquisitive. More, yeah. So you can imagine. Yeah, I know you imagine how many look and donate. It happened all the time. What I'm doing most of the time when I'm up at Dartmouth, if I'm trawling, I'm just imagining that there is a fish there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll I'll just do things like just random things. Whether it's speeding up, I'll turn. You know, put my motor into neutral. I'll just do a sharp turn or I'll even just grab the line and start yanking on it just to make the lure do something different yep. than um than just like just do it normal. at the same speed. Yeah. Tracking at the same speed and, and that's probably that can be the trouble that people get into on a perfect day. So it's a glassed off day and you know, that's the most comfortable time to be fishing and you just relax. You're like, Oh, this yeah. is great. You know, I don't even have to steer my boat. Yeah. But what you're actually doing is you're not really doing anything to excite the fish. Um, yep. Some days, some days you don't even need to, but other days you do. And I often think some of those choppier days are better for fishing because even though you have to, you, you have to sort of manhandle your boat a lot more. You don't really have to do much with your lines because you're bobbing up and down, and all that sort of movement from the waves is making your rod tips sort of. Pull and yank. And go slack, yeah, yeah. And slack. And so you've, you know, some of those rough days are probably the better days to be fishing. Yeah. It's always a way. It's always a way. It's yeah. least comfortable for us, but he's more exciting for the fish, or he's more comfortable for the fish, um, more willing to bite. Right, so run us back to the summer, a, a standard summer, which this year might be a little bit different, but a standard summer is the fish push deep, obviously early in the morning, late afternoon, yes, you can catch them just flatlining or casting, but you're better off fishing down in, what do you fish around the bait, the thermocline, how rough deep do you go, and then at the end of summer, then how do you transition out to what is winter? Yeah, okay, so um, through summer, you you are either okay. So you've got bait balls and you've got thermoclines. Um, they're sort of the main reasons that you're going to be targeting fish down deep. Yeah. Um, 
through some other fish like to go down towards the thermocline uh, for comfort. That's one, but also a lot of the time the bait will accumulate around the thermocline as well. Yeah. Um, and when you find those areas, particularly if you find a bait ball, um, and in previous years I've found the bait balls sort of between 15 and 20. Metres. Yep, metres. Right. So you are going down pretty deep. Sometimes the bait has been a little bit higher, um, maybe around a 10. Yep. So that's a bit more manageable for a lot more people. But, um, you know, thermoclines, you're getting down anywhere around 20, 25 metres. Wow. Um, which is, it's massive. Like, from what I've seen in other dams, thermoclines not that deep. So you're um, fishing in 20 metres, 15 metres? I sort of go just above, so just above either the thermocline or a bait ball. Right. I, I don't like to go level through where the fish are. Say if a fish is sitting at 15 metres, I'm not going to run my downrigger and lure at 15 metres. I might go, say, 13 or 12. So they can see it because trout always look up, so they'll spot it and come up. Yeah, most of the time. Um, I have seen fish go down. Like I've, I've seen it happen on the on the sounder. Yep. Um they track down, but more often than not, they're coming up. You'll see it, you know, even if you're in shallow, like in cooler months and you're in shallow, um, you'll see fish come and follow up off the bottom. Yep. So same same thing goes um, in the deeper water. Um, you just want to be tracking your, your baits over the top. So whether, it, you know, you're using baits like worms or mud eye, um, yep. troll, like this is in a trolling Scenario, um, scenario, yeah. um, because casting casting at that depth is yeah. pretty hard to <laughs> even imagine, that? isn't I, it? I can't do that. <laughs> I, I I can't even fathom it. It's I think, and I've written about this. Like the beauty of trolling is you can keep your lure in like those depths, particularly with a downrigger. You can keep it in the zone for so much longer. Yeah. Um, you don't tend to find fish scattered in the water column. You might have you know some are sitting up the top. Yep. And then there's nothing in between and then there's just a big chunk of them sitting around the thermocline or where the bait ball is. Yeah, right. And, and, and when you find them at a bait ball, they're there for a reason. They're there to eat. Mm. So that's, to me, I see that. I'm like, this is great. There's active fish here. And I'll just sit there. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got your maps on your boat, uh, on your sounder, you know, you, you do a few passes when you're trawling. You'll end up mapping out where that bait ball is sitting. Yeah. And then eventually you're just doing circle work. You're literally just, your sounder just becomes a big donut. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you want to be right on top of that. Yeah. So you, yep. you want to be looking at your sounder as much as you can for some kind of activity and just work out yep. where that's happening and replicate it or just continue working the same area if there's fish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The sounder, the sounder is. I would say it's very important. It's not necessary, but in this day and age where I would say 90-odd percent of the boats on the water do have sounders, I'd be using them to pick out where your bait is. Um, if it's a good enough sounder, you should be able to see the thermocline. Yep. Just turn your sensitivity up and you'll you'll be able to see the thermocline. It just looks like uh, a whole bunch of garbage scatter. in a yeah. very specific depth of water. It'll just, you know... Yeah, it's yeah. like a line, like a scatter a line. line. Yeah, we've yep. actually got info on in the side the sounder series, um, in which is inside the membership on how to set up your sounder with thermocline and what it looks like and how to find it. Um, 
But a couple of other mentions too. You actually, for those who are listening and are really intrigued in triathlon, we're like just touching the surface of it um, while we're talking about Dartmouth here. Um, and you've actually done, we've done a Q&A demo inside the membership where we had graphics on all this. So your favorite combinations, your favorite setups, uh, how you troll a point and work a point and a whole heap of different scenarios and we run through them in way more detail. So if you're after more info on that, highly recommend you check out that because there's no way we're going to cover it all in this. Um, just want to touch on that. So that's summer. Then how long does that continue for before the fish start to push to the top? What's autumn like? Do you fish it much then? And then winter i don't tend to fish i don't fish a whole lot through autumn but what you find is it, you're just going off those temps um so as the surface temp drop the fish start to come more often like more fish come to the top yep um and like i said the last couple of years have been pretty pretty wild just because of the water rising so fast and a lot of the food has been on the top so if you subtract those couple of years and just look at you know your your standard sort of year you just want to be you just work with the fish so you go from your downrigger and you just work backwards so you go say downrigger your paravanes so you're as deep as you can go and eventually you start working everything back up you're always going to find you will find fish on the edges for like a lot of the year Um, it's just those really hot hot months there's not as many Right, D- Dartmouth. Dartmouth's a very steep dam, like I said earlier, um, and some some sections of water don't really even see the sunlight. Right, um, they're covered in shade for a lot of time. So you got to imagine some of those cooler areas, the fish are going to hold around. The water temperature doesn't rise as much. Yeah, um, and you know, if you're fishing those edges, they're going to be hiding underneath things because the water is really clear. So they've got to think about predators as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so going back to like the autumn, you're just working backwards from your downriggers and paravanes, lead weights, you're moving back up, you sort of gradually work towards your lead core. Yep. Um, that's my natural transition. Um, and eventually as you get into the cooler months, you're straight back on top fishing, um, fishing the surface and, and places like Dartmouth. There's that many fish. I've said it before. There's that many fish in there. Um, you will find them pretty much everywhere. Well, I say this pretty much everywhere. There are times that they'll, they'll be in any part of the lake, but you could fish, say, the Eight Mile Creek, have like go absolutely berserk. Yeah. Um, you could shift over into the Dart Arm. You will not have a touch. Right. Um, what I find they do, they, they really cluster. So I think. If you find a fish, you just want to hang around in that area. Um, and I think, I think experiences from what I've seen, you'll more often than not, if you catch one fish of a certain size, they're sort of hanging out with fish of the same size. Right. Okay. Particularly out in the middle of the dam. So yeah. um, if you catch some small fish, and me and, me and the brother-in-law did this at the Dark Cut this year, we we actually started off in what's called the Six Mile Creek, which is right next to the boat ramp. Um, we caught, I think we caught two small fish yep. and we said, nah, we're not <laughs> having this. So we shifted off and I mean, we didn't move that far. We stayed in the main basin, but we just found this section. Um, 
which was close to the close to the edge and you know just by chance really early on in the competition we stumbled across some better fish um you know our our teammates i think were actually not all of them there was a few of them that were say out fishing us but the size that they were catching they couldn't weigh in whereas we were able to weigh in but i think it was close to 50 percent of the fish that we were catching right you catch a much and, better fish yeah so that's something that we keyed in on is um you know i think part of that was we were close to the edge and like i said earlier at at the, at the moment the, the bigger fish have been close to the edges and there's just an influx of tiny fish out in the middle yeah and it's really hard once once you start catching fish you're just like oh this is great i'm gonna hang here there's fish everywhere yeah and then you wonder why why they keep being small and right. why aren't I catching any big ones? So you get it's, stuck on a group of fish that are all a similar class rather than going, yeah. like your decision after having two, I'm not having this because you could have kept catching small ones. Yeah. You're like, and every now and then you might catch a better one, yeah. but chances are you're just going to keep catching fish of a similar class and just be frustrated and right. waste a whole day out in the water catching fish that you, you probably wouldn't even put on your plate if you're into that. Yeah, right, they're that small. And then you obviously moved and found bigger class fish fairly consistently. Yeah, yeah, a, a lot more consistently. We we found that we weren't actually having to throw many back and we were able to fill the live well. And, yeah. Um, whereas a lot of our teammates, I, I don't know, I mean, our team didn't actually finish that great within the whole realm of the comp, um, you know, when we go to Dartmouth, yes, at the dark cup, you've got some pretty hardcore fishermen. They go and camp up on the water through rain, hail and shine, even snow. I think we got snow up on the hills there this year. Wow. Um, but you've got these hardcore guys that will stay up there on the lake and, you know, we've got a nice comfy cabin. Thankfully yeah. to go back to with a hot shower and amenity. Um, enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> we enjoy it a little bit. Uh, the fishing might suffer fractionally, but... Um, you know, it, yeah, still a good time. Yeah, yeah, nice. So that's what happens through winter. They've pushed higher and then in the yep. winter time. So what's your pick? When's the best month to fish start? For me, I, I kind of actually like winter. Yeah, I thought I you were going to say that. I, I don't know. It's something about the freshness. Uh, it's, I don't know. Catch plenty I've of fish been, too? You catch heaps of fish, but, you know, summer... We go up there every now and then. I haven't done a whole lot, but um, I do like doing is going yabbying up there. Yep. Because, um, you know, they're delicious. Um, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> trying to camp. So in summer, we will go and camp up there, but it's, you know, close to 40 degrees. And the last time I was there, I think it was a 42-degree weekend and we pulled stumps. Right. Uh, the very next morning, it was so uncomfortable. We had snakes going through the camp. and Lovely. Um the frogs, like the frogs are insane up there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I just, I, I absolutely love winter. I love getting up there early. Uh, freshness, like just absolutely bone chilling cold on your face. Like I, I normally wear basically snow gear when I'm up there. Um, but I just, I just like the cold. I prefer yeah. the cold than. The, the heat and that sort of suited me pretty well for this cod fishing. Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty easy transition into doing the cod stuff for you then. Yeah. Because it's not It's only, it's only the fingers. 
So yeah. say if I'm up at Dartmouth and a lot of the time through winter, I, I might be trolling. I don't do as much casting. So I can kind of cover my hands. But when you go cod fishing in winter, you you know, there's not too many gloves out there that you can wear and cast comfortably. Yeah, yep. um, it's a tricky so, situation, that one. Yeah. So winter, fishing-wise, it fishes really well through winter and really yep. early spring. Till spring, kind of spring's great, yeah. 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 And it's really hard to talk about right now because it's Dartmouth has been fishing sensationally, in my p- opinion, for over two years, I reckon. Yeah. Um, th- there were years there that were it was tough, but... Um, it should continue to be good too, hopefully, for a little while longer since all the water. I think so. My concern maybe is the food source um, mm-hmm. again. So I haven't been seeing as many bait balls uh, yep. in previous years. but mm. That'll be interesting. Keen to well, follow yeah, along, see what happens there. It'd be good to see what... Um, you know, what sort of hatches we have as well Yep. coming through. So, who Interesting. knows? Maybe they'll have to turn around and start eating yabbies, the picky buggers. Maybe. <laughs> they'll have to work a bit harder for their food. Um, question, Why? what is it about trout that you love or is it that you love trout because of Dartmouth and how you were introduced to Dartmouth and the comp you fished every year? But what is it about trout? Well, it's 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 probably the the latter. Um, I probably like everything that everything else around the trout that you know that takes me to Dartmouth and brings me to the trout. Yeah. Um, so it is Dartmouth. It, it's, it's Dartmouth. I love Dartmouth. Yeah. Nice. In in the younger years, um, there was never so it was always really nice just to go up there and you wouldn't have any reception. Um, I mean, you don't have reception on the dam itself, but you wouldn't even have reception in the town. Um, yeah. They used to have a little phone box. I think the phone box is still there. It's the only way you could really call out um, if you were if you didn't live there. Um, and just the tradition of going up and, and being with my mates and, I don't know, just, just having a really good time. We're all pretty competitive. Like, we all come from a sport, so there's always the banter of going back. We've got our own little trophy um, outside of the dark cup. Got our own little trophy called the Fisherman's Platter. Nice. So that's um, that's some pretty good competition amongst the guys. Um, so yeah, I'd say when it comes to trout, it's everything else that around it that brought me to trout, um, cool. which helps me enjoy the trout. Um, good way to put it. It might be it might be funny to hear, but I, I probably prefer doing cod fishing through the summer um just in the smaller streams yeah not not really trophy hunting but um just going around and casting spinnerbaits or surf slewers uh in the smaller creeks catching cod yeah it's a good fun style of fishing that is yeah awesome fun um that's cool i really like how you put that um, and I actually thought that that could be your answer, which I'm quite I'm not surprised that I guessed it. But yeah. I just I just hear you talk about Dartmouth with so much passion. I just wondered, was it trout that you really love, or is do you love trout so much because of the because of Dartmouth? So it's it's cool. It's a cool way to look at it, and it's cool that you kind of fell into it because of the the scenery and the spot. Um, and it it has some scenery. It's it's beautiful up there. That's cool. When you're up, you're up there on the lake, where you'll be 
putting your boat on the water and the fog and the cloud were rolling up over the wall. Yeah. So you, it'll come up the valley sometimes. It'll come up the valley and it'll creep over the wall and it'll just start to lay out. Um, and there's like a point from the boat ramp. You can't see the, the damn wall and you can just see the clouds starting to roll through like on the water. Yeah, that's that, cool. That's an epic sight. That's mad. I'm actually real keen to get down there. I have fingers crossed. Depends what happens this year with water. And even if I don't get down to map it, I'd definitely, yeah, we'll see how we go. It just depends on timing. Yeah. But I'd definitely, we're getting down there very soon. Um, I'm going to do some filming down there with you, do a bit of fishing down at Dart. Um, fingers crossed it happens this season. Otherwise, it might we might have to come down in the middle of winter next year. Um, yeah. And for those who are interested, you do write the report every month uh, and we will have a heap more content on Dartmouth um, going up in the membership if you've got any more questions. Also, people can reach out to you inside the platform as well for info on Dart. Now, the question, another question I've got for you, which is probably something that people are thinking, is if they're going to Dartmouth, what lures, just real quickly, what's a handful of lures that they should be taking? Any colors in Tassies, for example, that people should not leave at home? Obviously, you talked about your fenders and your worms, but lure-wise, um, what what should you have if you got to grab ten lures? You know, what's what should go in the box for Dartmouth? Okay, um, so I've said it before. It's uh, the the pink tazzy, just your standard tazzy in pink. That is dynamite. Sort of, if you're having a, a really tough day, just chuck pink. Right. So that's the what. That's the don't miss. At dark, you've got to have something in pink. In the Tassie range, I'd probably also go something black. Yep. Um, but, like, I use black and gold, so I like to use black and gold a lot. Orange orange works quite a bit. The Canberra Killer um, is a is a colour that works really well. It seems to work everywhere. Yep. Um, but anything, even anything with a yellow, yellow wing. So that doesn't really narrow... That range down a lot. Yeah, I know that's um that's quite a lot of colours, but at least that gives people a starting point. You got your pink, your dark, and something with a bit of gold in it, or yellow wing, because there's a lot, isn't there, in the yellow wing part range of Tassies? Yeah, there is. Um, uh, I, I don't know the percentage of how many um of the standard colours that they've actually brought out in yellow wing. Um, but things I, I probably wouldn't, I I don't personally go for. Um, is like green, I know uh, the frog frog pattern. A lot of people love that. I I personally haven't ever really moved to that. Anything in like red, yeah. Um, I don't use a whole lot. White I dabbled with a little bit. Um, the the clown I think it's called, and blue. I don't really like blue. The only time blue is a any, weird color anywhere. It is, and for some reason, like number two, I think the number two Tassie, which is the most sought after lure um, in probably all of trout collectors and Tassie devil collectors. It fetches a pretty penny, um, not made anymore, and it's blue. Uh, That's probably why they stopped making it because it didn't sell because it sucked. <laughs> it sucked, but they brought out a whole whole range now that have blue wings on them. So mm. I haven't ventured into that. Um, so anyway, that's that's where I stand on my Tassie colours. I'm, I'm pretty simple. Yeah. Um, and then it, what other lures we, as well? Yeah, lures. Um, so your double clutches. Yep. Um, I love those. 
Merlin Lewis. Yeah. Um, so Merlin's, I'm very, very lucky. It's it's a funny story this one because I've I've caught some of my personal best uh, fish. Uh, my personal best yellow belly was 63 centimeters. Um, it was my second best trout, which was 61. Yeah. Out of the weir, I caught on these Merlin lures, and you know, it used to be a local brand. Yeah. Here in Aubrey, and it shifted off. I think it moved to Tassie. And I went searching around everywhere. I jumped online. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm asking, like, does anyone sell these lures? I ended up buying all of the ones out of uh, Wagga, and I bought all the ones out of Aubrey. Yeah. Um, and by chance, one of the guys that is in our fishing team used to paint the lures, and he tracked down the new guy and eventually bought the brand. So very lucky there um, that now it's back in Aubrey and he, you know, it's all locally made and it's, um, which is really exciting. But yeah, cool. it's it's just good to have another local brand back in. Um, also McGrath's, like McGrath Lewis, um, yep. they're quite good. Um, what else do I use? Rapala, uh, I do use a few of those, but I've sort of, I, I steered away from them a little bit earlier on. I started to go for um, like the Australian made stuff. Yep. That's just me, personal choice, uh, whether or not it's affecting my fishing. It's just a personal choice. I like to support local lures, you know, even your, your perch palms, which I do use. I, I like using perch palms up on the up on the dam. Yeah, nice. So that's that's Rory's, um, just a lot of the smaller model stuff. And I've been, I've just started using some of his remelt stuff. So that's really exciting, just supporting some Australian-made stuff. Um, so you, your go-tos are your winged lures, your tazzies and your hard bodies. Um, and yep. obviously if you're casting the edges, you could use casting hard bodies. Edges. You could use plastics. Yep. Plastic's going to be a bit snaggy down deep on that flooded yeah. stuff, but you could still fish them, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we just step back um, on the edges, yeah, your hard bodies. Um, the soft plastics have been really snaggy lately but you can still so i, I use a quarter ounce um when i'm f- fishing those sort of plastics yeah and it's a happy medium for me um without having to change for every scenario yep. they don't sink too fast and they um you know they still get down yeah so um you can drag those sort of lures and, and the plastics over the top of those trees, like I spoke about before. Same yep. same sort of thing with um, the hard body, like what I do with the suspending hard bodies. I mean, you can't you can't pause the plastic as well over the top of those those trees, yeah. but you still fish it very similar. Like you you can twitch it out yep. over the top, um, and then when you get to the face of that, you know, the bushy trees, you can let it drop down the face of it. Yep, um, which is good. I mentioned probably right towards the beginning of the podcast, I like fishing the transition of the rock and the clay. Mm-hmm. Um, those rocky sort of bouldery sort of areas, um, there's, you know, little uh, like not cliffs, but there's edges that, you know, the fish will hide under the rocks and you, you can drop and you can hop your lure like the soft plastics down there. Yeah. Um, and often you'll, on, on the drop, you'll actually get, get hit. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, good to mix it up between a sinking yep. lure and sort of your suspending lures. Yeah, so basically just to, to round all that off, um, 
your t- your wing lures, uh, some suspending hard bodies, and soft plastic. So I like the perch palm, but I also like um, the T tail minnows. Yep, um, they're really hot lure as well up there. So just those sort of three is what I have in the tackle box. Nice, nice. Yeah, I just thought it is or something I was thinking um, as we were talking. If I'm going to dart, what do I want to pack? But that's a good yep. little rounded uh, look at Dartmouth. I I know there's so much more we could talk about, um, and all of that content we do, and we'll share more of inside the membership as we start creating more content on all the lakes. Um, obviously, we've mapped a heap. We're visiting heaps. We've got content on heaps and Dartmouth one that we'll expand more on as well you have you wrote a piece on trolling uh, which Karen is going to load in the next couple of weeks um, yep. which will be pretty cool so anyway for more on Trout uh, there's heaps more in the membership but uh, thanks heaps for joining mate before we finish up I got I don't know if you've thought about this or not but I got I usually have a couple of random questions at the end um, first one is which is one I really like to ask a lot of, and this could fall into cod, saltwater, trout. I don't know where you're going to go with this one, but do you have a memorable catch, your most memorable catch of your time fishing? Um, I'd actually, I'd probably say, I'd probably actually say it was one of the most recent bigger captures in the boat. Um, it wasn't actually me. Uh, it was so I took a mate of mine, um, Paddy Lloyd Donald. He lives in Melbourne. He's sort of practicing to be an ethicist. Yeah. And so through COVID, he, he through COVID he was working in the airway ward, couldn't fish, and it was just prior to COVID I got him into fishing. So he's been sitting there with this itchy leg, wanting to go fishing and couldn't actually do it. That's so, a shocking time to get into fishing. Good on you. I know. <laughs> I know, and he's been obsessed with surface fishing. Um, but anyway, I guess without getting into all the COVID talk, once it sort of got to the end of it, which was only, you know, towards the end of, um, oh, a bit way through the beginning of this year, sort of started to see the light of the day. Yep. Um, we teed up a session. We we did a bar and jack and a blaring trip. And, you know, I I got a 98-centimetre a uh, cod up at bar and jack. I don't think cod of any other size exist for you, do they? No. Yeah, I've, I've come painfully close to the magic meter a couple of times this At year. But 98, both I times. Just, I just haven't, I just, I haven't been able to, you know, get it over the edge. <laughs> anyway, that's so all right. That, that to me, those two fish were great anyway, the white angler cod and the barrenjuck. But for me, it was actually watching my mate, um, we cast for, so by this stage, we'd done Barrenjuck for about four or five days and then cod season closed. So we shifted back down to Blowering just to get, he had a holiday. So we just wanted to get a couple more days on the water really. And we went and camped out Blowering and it was, um, we put one more, uh, one night session on the water and then we woke up, I think it was four o'clock in the morning. Uh, four, no, maybe 4.30, I think we, we may have woken up, yep. got on the water and we made over to a, a flat bank and. You know, for this whole trip, Pat hasn't had a single touch. He's watched me catch a fish. I had a few more hits at Barrenjuck, but he has not had a nudge. Um, he's busted lures. He's lost lures. Cut lures off and flicked them over the side thinking they were tied he's, under his rod. 
yeah, he's he's had a bit of a doozy. He is a smart guy. I won't I won't say anything. He is a really smart guy, but those moments um, he's not left a lot to, to be desired. <laughs> nah, you'll love it. Um, so yeah, we were fishing this morning, and it was a perfect morning. It was nice and flat. We moved into an area that was you know, a nice, flatty, um, flat bank. There's a bit of an inflow. Um, we'd been there the night before, no luck, but we saw a lot of fish, like a lot of carp. And it was this this morning. The carp were going pretty crazy. I'm like, well, this is good. Like, there's bait here. Like, it is pretty big. Yeah. But there's got to be fish around. Anyway, we actually followed. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen. They, the fish were coming off on an angle from the. So imagine this bank was a bit of a right angle, like comes into a right angle. Yeah. And right on that ninety degree angle back out into the dam, which I imagine was where the creek was sort of coming out. Mm-hmm. This line of carp were just like jumping straight in this line. There was nothing either side of it. It was just the carp jumping in a straight line. That led us out um, back out. I'm like, it was. It felt so unnatural because we were casting close to the banks because um, I think at that point in time, there's a lot of information and a lot of fish being caught right up on the edges. Yeah. And I remember saying to Pam, like, mate, this feels so unnatural. But so we're you, following. you drifted away from the bank a little bit. We went away from the bank and we just started fishing out to the middle of the dam. Um, and, I mean, this wasn't where we caught the fish, but it led us to where we caught the fish we followed i guess we we're following the creek bed out where the fish were jumping yeah but then there was this little bay and i looked over there and it like i thought these fish over in this corner were jumping we looked over into this bay and it was exploding i'm like pat we we can't ignore that we're going over there and um we went over there we started casting into this bank and we're only i think we only got about 20 or 30 meters in from around the point we're working into this little bay a couple of trees on the inside of us um, and we were casting up into the shallows, like right up into the shallows. Yeah. I think we were sitting in about four metres of water. Anyway, he looks at the side scan. He goes, oh, there's a couple of fish just sitting off, off to the, the deeper side of us. There's nothing. There was nothing really, no shadows coming up on our inner side yeah. where we were casting. And he goes, he just started casting out there. And I think he only put about four or five casts out there. And... I just hear like this, yep, I'm on. And I turn around, not really thinking. I just see the bend in his rod. I'm like, oh, you're on. <laughs> We're only taking comp, mates. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, get the net. I'm like, oh, shit. And by, like before you even knew it, this thing surfaced. I'm like, shit, mate. That's big. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to make it, but the girth on this thing, like it was fat. Probably the, the fattest, one of the fattest fish I've seen like personally yeah um but below below a metery it was probably the fattest fish i've ever seen below a metery anyway we pulled it in the thing um measured 96 yeah nice. but his his reaction from that was the coolest thing i've ever seen like to see your mate who hasn't been fishing he, he really is fairly new to fishing yeah but he came out and he was so dedicated to do this to, to do this trip like he wanted to fish more than me like i'd be cutting the, the the session short i'm like mate we've been out here for a good five hours we're doing this for a, like a whole week so doing our morning sessions our night sessions we did a like a few really late nights up until 12 um 
trying to reserve some energy. But he was just like, oh, I'll keep fishing. I'll keep fishing. So yeah, yeah. It's pretty to see him, slog. Like, it's to massive. see him catch that fish and the reaction of him afterwards. And he's like, I'm, I'm shaking, man. You know, as was I. Like, I was so ecstatic for him. His one bite. Um, I think we're using uh, Ghost Cod Fury. Yeah, um, nice. And, oh, man. That, that was probably my favorite moment um, That's cool. ever. That's yep. cool. That was the last cod you saw, yeah? Before it recording was. this podcast. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yep. So um, we got blown off the water that night. We tried to go out again that night and got blown off the water in the next morning and we called it a trip. Yeah, it's a big trip. I remember you telling me about that. and Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool that your most memorable moment was watching your mate, good mate, work for six sessions, six, no, six days. Yeah, it was, that like fish. I said, I think we were well over 24, oh, easy, well over 24 hours worth of fishing. Um, yeah, yeah. Easy. Way easy. more. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, awesome, mate. Thanks for joining me. you got this comp this weekend. Uh, what are we, Wednesday yeah. night? So you got tomorrow a bit more packing and then head off Thursday. For, so all the best with that. Obviously, if anyone wants to reach out, what is your Instagram page? If anyone wants to reach out and follow you on Instagram, um, it's just Matt sure it's Mildred. just Matt Mildred, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, okay, pretty simple. Yeah, Mildred twenty six. Um, yeah, perfect. I don't think I ever intend like, I I don't think I ever wanted to sort of have a fishing Instagram, but it's turned into that as <laughs> uh, just a bunch of fishing and landscape photos. So if that's what you're into. Awesome, especially for Dartmouth. So um, I'll leave in the show notes for this episode on our website, I'll leave a link to your Instagram page. Uh, One final question, mate, before we finish up. Do you have a piece of advice for anyone listening, a bit of life advice from your 30-odd years on the planet that we live on, whether it's life, whether it's fishing, whether it's Dartmouth? Um, I don't know if you've pre-thought of this, but I didn't know if you knew this question was coming or not. But do you have any final words that you would like to share? I'll put you um, on the spot. <laughs> it is a bit on the spot. Um, probably don't be afraid to take a leap into something that you might not feel overly comfortable or confident in. Um, what I'd say for me personally I think it was a bit of a leap of faith um, sticking my hand up to even to write with social fishing. Uh, didn't really know where it would lead to, but I, I, I've never looked back. I've really enjoyed every moment of doing this. Um, I'd say like back in high school, I probably, I don't think I had the best English grade, but um, no, writing the report seems to be going well. It's been getting some really good feedback. So that's that's probably my bit of advice, just I don't know. Take take a chance. Awesome. Love it, mate. That's a great way to end. Um, don't really want to say too much to ruin that because that's a good way to finish up. Ah, beautiful. Awesome. Appreciate it, mate. I'll be talking hey, to you soon. Thanks, thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers. And there you have that episode, guys. You may or may not be able to hear right now, but it is pelting down at my place. Obviously, I don't have an awesome soundproof room to do these podcasts. I wish I did, but 
we have had relentless rain and right now have a tin roof and it is hammering down. So apologies if there is any background noise, but that is the relentless rain that we have had. And there's really no time that I can sit down and record when it isn't raining. It's been that wet. But I hope you enjoyed that episode with Matt. I want to thank him once again for joining us for the episode to share with you all about Dartmouth and also for his contribution to the membership platform and creating content on Dartmouth. As I mentioned, he has an in-depth technical article on trolling for trout going up inside the membership within the next week or so. So make sure you jump on and check that out if you want to learn more about trolling for trout. So once again, thanks Matt for jumping on and joining us on this episode. As you guys know, there's been so much rainfall around as I just mentioned. It is flooding in so many different places and being that that is happening, we have decided in the next couple of episodes to actually talk about the flood. So coming up soon, you'll have episodes with Dan and myself and hopefully a few experts on the fish kill slash flooding situation going on. I thought it was a topic that needs discussion. I've written some content way back uh, when I first started creating content before the podcast and I wrote some content on what blackwater is, what fish kills are, especially in the 2010, the 2012 fish kills and also touched on the 2016 fish kills with the floods. And it's pretty sad to see a heap of fish dying at West um, and we basically want to shed some light on why it is happening. On social media, you get so much rubbish news. You get people commenting without any background knowledge. Obviously, it's really, really sad that this is happening and the question is why. People want to know why and we're going to shed some light on that topic so you have a basic understanding of why these fish are dying and what is happening. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that episode on Dartmouth, Matt Mildren and talking all about trout. We're going to have some epic episodes coming up over the next few weeks and few months. We're not far from cod season but right now we're in the heart of golden perch season and we also have a pretty good trout bite going on with the cooler weather. So even though we're in flood, even though the rivers are super high and flowing really quick and almost a write-off there is still some really good fishing to be had in our impoundments if you're listening to this episode right now the november reports or as it's released sorry if you're listening to this episode as it's been released the november social fishing reports are going up but if you are listening to this in 6 12 to however many years time uh, we will have continual reports going up in the membership platform. So jump on. There is new monthly reports at the start of every single month going up. And you can check that all out at socialfishing.com.au. Jump on, jump on our online store and check out the membership platform. Anyway, guys, that is it from me. I'll be back with another podcast down the track. Hopefully in the next week or so, I'll be talking to you then. My name is Reese Creed and you've been listening to The Social Fishing Podcast. Podcast.